You're listening to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, episode 47. This week's artist, The Doors. Now, let's open the doors of perception. The peace frog woke before dawn. He put his soft parade on. He took a face from the ancient crystal ship and he walked to the next whiskey bar. He went into the room where the unhappy girl lived and then he paid a visit to the unknown soldier and then he walked to the next whiskey bar. And then he came at the door of perception. I looked at you, father. Yes, son, I want to kill you. Mother, I want to, to introduce you to the original Riders on the Storm, your hosts, Rob Heitman, Alan Campbell, and that wild child, Jason Weck. <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, where we rank the Dirty Dozen or Top 12 Doors songs while discussing their music and pounding back a few brews. I'm Rob. And I'm Alan. And I'm Jason. There we go. It was interesting with that intro. They have such suggestive song titles that I couldn't do my normal rant, so I had to figure out another way of including a little of it. I was convinced that Jim Morrison actually wrote that intro. <laughs> From the grave, right? That's right. <laughs> Did he die, really? Uh, well, you know what? <laughs> Stories abound. Closed casket, come on. <laughs> Still have Elvis sightings, but no Jim Morrison sighting. That should tell us something. Yeah, he, he disappeared to Africa. That's what happened. Hmm. I heard it from a good source. He's blessing the rains down in Africa. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, tell me about your first experience with The Doors. Let's start with Jason. My first experience with The Doors really ended up being listening to songs that got a lot of radio play. Listen to them in the, the old dirty gym back in my hometown. My first kind of shocking experience with The Doors really happened when I watched this interview with Ray Manzarek, well, 15 years ago, probably. And he's sitting there with his roads, and he's going through the structure of Riders on a Storm. And it was at that moment, far too late for an appropriate musician, but it was at that moment that I realized that he was playing all the bass lines with his own left hand. Like, there wasn't actually a bass player in the doors. Had no idea up to that point, and was just completely wowed by the talent and the creativity and his ability to split his left and right brain and play two different things at the same time. Um, That would just kind of sparked my my love interest with and it's funny some of those bass lines are like near impossible to play on a regular bass right well not impossible but they're really tough right they're clearly written by a piano player easy on a keyboard but not so easy on a bass and they're so repetitive you really have to concentrate or you just you can fall out of the repetition and the train leaves the station without you. you okay alan what about you my first experience with the doors was just hearing their songs on the radio But the thing I can point to is when I really sat down and listened to Light My Fire all the way through and listened to the middle instrumental section, that just opened my eyes to how good these guys are Mm -hmm. and how well they play together. And I became a fan. Oh, that's good. Like for me, I was, I guess maybe junior high, and this isn't when the doors were out. I'm a little bit younger than that. Somebody came up to me. They start talking about the doors, and people start having conversations about the doors. And I'm sitting here trying to be a part of this conversation that I don't know who the doors are. Hmm. So I went to the store, and I ended up buying the first album. Started getting into that, and then I was able to have a good conversation. It really blew me away. That's kind of how I came to The Doors and obviously playing music and playing in bands. You know, there's a bunch of those songs that every bar band in the world covers, right. uh, which will probably, maybe some of them will be on the list, maybe some mm-hmm. of them won't. Without discussing a specific song, I'll start with Alan this time. What's the one thing you learned about The Doors in your preparation for this podcast? 
What I learned reviewing for the podcast is that there is a lot more to the Doors than just Jim Morrison. I gained a new appreciation for the three instrumentalists in the group. Right, in the right. instrumental passages of their songs, you can really hear how well they play together, interact musically with each other, and also with Morrison's vocals. They had definitely had a chemistry. And I didn't really appreciate how many other people were a part of this. There's extra guitar players and like LA Woman. They brought in a rhythm guy. There's a bass guy in almost yeah. every album except for the first one. Yeah, they had a string of different bass players coming yeah. in. They brought in a whole horn section yeah, too. Yeah, for that wonderful album. Exactly. And I wonder why it was only the one. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that my favorite thing that I learned about The Doors during this research was this quote by Ray. He said, you don't make music for immortality. You make music for the moment to capture the sheer joy of being alive on planet Earth. And I just thought that was so classic, how much respect he had for the music creation process and just his focus of not really intending to be some big shot rock star, but just actually celebrating life in that moment. Yeah. The one thing I got from this is the whole deal with what happened in New Haven. There was a macing and there was an arrest while he was on stage. And I thought I knew the story. It all started with him messing around with a young girl in the bathroom. He actually took the girl. He was moving from room to room trying to find a space so they can spend some alone time together. And the way they have it set up in the New Haven arena that he was playing in, each artist room had a bathroom and they were all connected to each other. And Jim did not want to be in his own bathroom. So he was in this bathroom, which was the bathroom of, uh, what was it? Tommy and the Rivieras, who was a band that opened up for him. And I hadn't heard this anywhere. It was a news story from New Haven that I found online. Evidently, they didn't know who that person was in their bathroom. Hmm. And they were getting ready to go on stage and their outfits didn't have any pockets. So all their wallet and everything's there. And this is strange guy, you know, in their bathroom, they didn't recognize who it was. So they were the ones who actually called the police. Wow. Then they went in there and everything happened. That blew me away. I didn't know that because I thought I understood the whole story. And then you see just that one thing that just like changes the story. He wasn't as innocent as he sounded. They, they never are. <laughs> but it, it's just kind of interesting, the whole thing. And obviously the cops, I think, had issues too. And everybody had issues at that point. It was a different time. And he was on the FBI list and yeah, all those other things. Nobody wanted to budge. No. No. There was no like, why are you here? <laughs> right. <laughs> Who are you? Or, or maybe Jim decided to just flip him off at that point. <laughs> Who knows, right? So what's everybody drinking today? I'm drinking Blackened, the Metallica whiskey, batch 99. And it's really good. I always love it. It's Dave Piccarello, who, if you're in a whiskey, no longer with us, but he helped bring that out uh, with Metallica. And when you're trying to find the weight in a nice whiskey bar, I figured we can talk a little about this today. Alan, what do you got? I have Bushmills Single Malt Irish Whiskey, 10 years old. Nice. It's very good because of the malt content. It reminds me of Single Malt Scotch. Not quite as refined, but it's very good. Okay. And Jason? And I've got the Whistlepig Farmstock Rye, which according to the bottle, it was bottled in a barn. It's got to lend some credibility to it. There you go. It looks like it was aged in... By uh, a whistle pig, I heard. Uh, exactly, exactly. The pig was whistling when he made it in the morning. <laughs> uh, aged in oak and charred barrels, partially from Canada and partially from Vermont. Really, really good. Got a little bit of sweetness to it. Very solid all around the flavor. Okay, good. Before we begin today, we'll be critically reviewing the songs we will share under 15 seconds of each tune, unless there is a specific issue or criticism that we may need to highlight, and then we may do a second clip. We have made Apple Music and Spotify playlists. Just search Official Dirty Dozen on either service to listen to each of our lists in their entirety. This way, all the money for playing tunes will always head back to the doors and their descendants, really. We have also created a current episode Dirty Dozen podcast playlist, which will automatically update with each podcast to the current podcast. So subscribe once. 
and always be updated. We're simplifying the cast today. Instead of each person reviewing their top 12, we decided to just discuss the official Dirty Dozen today. So it's going to be simple from 12 to 1, and it's calculated from all of our lists. Everybody doesn't know what it is. I had to put it together, so I kind of do, but the other two presenters do not, which is Alan and Jason, of course. Before we get going with the list, we like to discuss a song that wouldn't be in the top 12, but it's interesting to us, so we want to talk about it. We like to call this song our song of note. So let's start with Alan. Alan, what's your song of note? Uh, my song of note is Spanish Caravan from the Waiting for the Sun album. I picked it because, as far as I know, it is the only guitar song that showcases Robbie Krieger's flamenco guitar. Yep. In fact, he says that when he joined the Doors, he had only been playing electric guitar for a year. That's why he doesn't play with a pick. Because, yeah, he plays because he was used to playing flamenco. His right hand looks like a claw when he's playing guitar. Mm-hmm. The song is in two halves: acoustic, the acoustic half at first, and then they switch to the electric half. It's very well recorded, very clean. There's multi-track guitars. Krieger kicks in some kind of fuzz or distortion in the second half. It sounds nice and yeah, yeah, dirty the fuzz and box nasty. He put on there, yeah. And Manzarek on keyboards, I am not always the biggest fan of some of the organ tones he uses, but in this song, there's some really cool keyboard effects going on that, that really are kind of echoey and create a mood in the song. So, All right, uh, let's listen to Alan's song of note, Spanish Caravan off of Waiting for the Sun. All the way back in 1968. Yeah, that was Spanish Caravan. That, that was really good. And I didn't realize it until you spoke about it. I really was focusing in on Manzarek on that. Yeah. And I wasn't before. Because I'm a guitar player, I'm focusing in on the Flamingo guitar, really. Yeah. I was really impressed at how they kind of intermingled, and it was almost hard to tell what was what Yeah, at it's, certain points. It's melody and counter-melody, and you see that throughout the entire Doors catalog. You know, yeah. All these instruments that are playing, these different lines that blend together as an amazing piece of music, and incredibly talented people. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I did notice that you're, you're right. The, the organ tone was way different in that particular piece. I don't remember another piece that he did where the organ was so cathedral-like. I mean, you really kind of felt like yeah. you were in a, yeah. a Spanish church or something. Good point. Okay. Jason? All right. So my song of note is Moonlight Drive off of Strange Days. And this is the first song that the band ever recorded. And in fact, Manzarek tells the story that Morrison recited it to him as a poem. He uh, insisted at that point that he thought the lyrics were so good that they form a band together. And that was kind of the beginning of, of The Doors. Morrison wrote the song from a Venice Beach rooftop looking at other people through their windows watching what they were watching on TV, just just basically people watching. Yeah, he was homeless. That's where he had to live mm. for a while. I mean, he was going to move to New York. He had these big dreams and he had decided not to go. And he ended up staying and crashing at people's houses and Finding places to sleep, but I guess if he doesn't have a TV and he can watch through a window, <laughs> watch somebody else's. <laughs> I know that's kind of crazy, that's, really. That's a good uh, excuse for the policeman when he shows up. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so let's listen to Moonlight Drive off a of Strange Days, Jason's song of note. That's Moonlight Drive, Jason's Song of Note. It's a really, really fun song. Yeah, when people talk about good slide players, you almost never hear Robbie Krieger mentioned. But 
He's very good, but I think his style is a little different than a typical slide player, and I think that's why you don't think of him. And he's he's like not slide precise, player. you know, in it, yeah. but, yeah. but he, he feels it. And since the slide is typically associated with more of a blues feel, when right. you have someone playing a very non-blues feel on a slide, it can kind of sound a little weird. You know, yeah. it's like, hey, I'm expecting certain patterns, certain five, six, one combinations, certain arpeggios that he's not doing. Yeah, he he adapted his playing to the Doors music. Mm-hmm. Okay, my song of note, I went all the way to 1978 on An American Prayer, which is some poetry by Morrison. And the one that really stood out to me was kind of a riff off of Peace Frog. So there's a little bit of Peace Frog in it. It takes the best parts of Peace Frog into this song called Newborn Awakening. It's in his Awake section, which is uh, the fourth song in the Awake section. On An American Prayer, which came out in 78, it was stuff that he recorded... In 1970, wanted to do spoken word because he was a poet and he wanted to kind of get that out. Didn't go anywhere, really. And it was sitting there and the guys came back and said, hey, we want to put music to this. It's a pretty short song uh, as things go. It's worth a listen. It's only like two minutes long. You're only going to hear 15 seconds. I apologize. Let's go listen to my song of note, Newborn Awakening, off of An American Prayer. Indian, Indian, what did you die for? Indian says nothing at all. That's Newborn Awakening. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I do like that whole thing. The best part of his poetry, what is it, for a young woman learning to play the ghost song on her baby grand, played underneath by Ray, kind of knowing that that would fit there. And Yeah, it's almost cinematic. And yeah, since they were, they were both going to film school at UCLA when they met, it kind of makes sense. Like they had that mindset of, hey, I'm, I'm almost creating a score um, behind something. So you've got a spoken word and you've got this score that they're putting together behind it. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot of fun. I kind of always liked the Peace Frog, but it's kind of a little long and a little rambly for me. And that one, it just pulls in like my favorite parts of that song. <laughs> With, the, cl- the Cliff Notes version. The Cliff Notes version. <laughs> so it works good. Uh, all right. So let's jump in to the official Dirty Dozen. We're going to start with number 12. This song, Jason had at number three. Well, none of us had it on their list at all. This is off of LA Woman album, and the song is Love Her Madly. So, Jason, you want to talk a little bit about it? Sure. This song, I could have placed higher. It was actually something I sat down with my four-year-old who's learning to play the drums. I turned it on, and I said, hey, let's start working on this. And so we started working on it, and then part of the way through, he looks at me and goes, Dad, this is too hard. <laughs> um, but piano and, and the chord progressions throughout the song it hooked me right in. I read that Robbie Krieger wrote it on a Gibson 12 string, and he wrote it about his girlfriend, Lynn, who was threatening to leave apparently quite a bit. And the irony is they actually got married in 1972 and they stayed together. Yeah. The vocal pattern that Morrison uses is very much like Sinatra. It's Sinatra and maybe a little bit of Elvis kind of yeah. like thrown together. And they had the guy from Elvis's band, Jerry Schiff, played bass on this. A little repetitive for me. Mm-hmm. But Don't You Love Her As She's Walking Out The Door is so iconic. Oh, totally. So I totally see how you can get it on there. Yeah. It was interesting also that their producer, Paul Rothschild, hated the song. That he wouldn't produce it. So they had to do it themselves. Yeah. He walked out of the LA Woman Sessions. He was not happy with a lot of the stuff on there. It ended up working out good because they ended up going off and leaving the studio they were in and going to a house and recording it. And doing it all live and doing it all free. And they kind of felt like they were back in the first album. After the albums that they did with Rothschild, that they were ready to, to move on without him. So that's number 12, Love Her Madly. Let's take a listen. Don't you love her, baby? 
Hey, that was Lover Manly number 12. It's one of their more popular singles, as, as I recall. Absolutely. That was hugely popular. But let's move on to number 11. It was only me and Alan had the song on our list. We both had it at number nine. And it's called Touch Me off of the Soft Parade. And Jason decided not to put it on, which nope. is okay. He doesn't have to be right all the time. <laughs> Alan, you want to take this one? Sure. This song would have been higher on my list. I'll explain why. It's a great song uh, written by Robbie Krieger. The, the chord progression is beautiful. There's a killer sax solo at the end. So were you happy with the sax on it, though? I have an issue with the orchestral arrangement. It's beautiful in its own right, especially in the breakdown chorus, but I don't think it fits this song. That orchestral arrangement would fit perfectly in a Motown song. Mm -hmm. I think Morrison does a really good job on this song. He sings it pretty straight. His voice is in top form mm -hmm. on this recording. You can really hear him singing. It was very croonery in this one, I think. And you know, the original lyric that Robbie Krieger wrote was, come on, hit me. Yeah. It wasn't touch me. And, and right. Jim Morrison, in a very strange mindset, said, hey, that's probably a little bit too savage. Let's see if we can change it. It's Robbie used to have physical fights with his girlfriend. And he's like, hit me, hit me. You know, and she would hit him. Yeah. <laughs> This Come on, hit me. I'm not afraid, you know, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. It was just bumped down on my list. Um, one thing I will say, though, the artist they brought in to do the saxophone was Curtis Amy, and that was Carol King's saxophone player from her Tapestry album, uh -huh. which is another one of my favorite albums from way back in the day. I thought that was a plus, but not enough to bring it up into my 12. Okay. So let's listen to number 11, Touch Me Off the Soft Parade. Here we go. Yeah, that's a good tune. The rumor about that song was it was about masturbation, by the way. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> uh, in the time. So it's a lot of different sexuality happening in the 60s, I guess. Well, I used to play with a guitar player who got in physical fights with his girlfriend, too. Is that a guitar player thing? I don't know. He I, showing, I don't know. Most guitar players are nice he and, would show, and calm. He, he would show up to rehearsal with lumps on his face. I guess he had a mean right hand or something. Wow. It's, it's better that he had lumps on his face than she well, had lumps yeah, on his face. Yeah, true. exactly. That's a whole other animal. You listen to the, the beat and the pattern and when the instruments come in. Yeah. I can just see someone dancing on stage, a bunch of people dancing behind them, and just it almost seems like a musical song. I, I seriously imagine Elvis singing that song. Not the young Elvis. It's like the old club Elvis, <laughs> the lounge Elvis. It's still good. It's still good, too. Well, there are places in some of the Doors songs where Jim sounds a lot less like the Lizard King and more like a lounge lizard. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's yeah, true. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree with that. So let's jump over the strange days. The number 10. This was my number eight. And Jason's number 10, and Alan decided not to put it on the list, which is one of the songs they used to open up with. It's called When the Music's Over. It seemed like a keys-driven <clears throat> tune with a cool hook, and then that scream hits, mm -hmm. and that would immediately wake the whole audience up. And then that wailing, distorted guitar comes in. I love that. Guitar work by, and the fills by Robbie are so great on this. Densmore, who doesn't really get as much respect as he should get, his drum fills are amazing on this. And the guitar solo is really psychedelic, uh, really kind of improvised. Once again, he misses notes and stuff, but it's still really kind of cool, though. I just thought it was kind of a almost a rock journey or rock anthem. There's distinct movements in the song. Interesting that the organ intro was similar to Soul Kitchen. I don't know if we'll ever 
ever get to that one, but it was allegedly inspired by Watermelon Man by Herbie Hancock. It was still a very unique song, and like you said, this the scream just I think kind it of goes by Herbie Hand Genitals. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's try not to be like too racy here. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, and you listen to those lyrics. I mean, just the connection between music and life. Music is your special friend, your only mm-hmm. friend. That was powerful because you know we're all musicians here, and music plays such a huge part in our lives. And I think we can all really connect with that. The reason it wasn't on my list, there are sections in this song that are absolutely brilliant, but it's not maintained through the whole song. Okay. Yeah. I honestly got kind of a who Quadrophenia vibe off the song. I can see parallels and just in the instruction of the song and all that stuff. So I, yeah, you're yeah, right. A lot, of, a lot of the big bands at that time, you can kind of see crossover and some influences. I mean, there's some songs that the doors sound like the stones. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. that. Pretty much the who and the stones. I think there's, not a lot of Beatles in it. Beatles were never really that dark. <laughs> <laughs> they were a little happier. <laughs> what was it? I saw one of these uh, documentaries and Peter Farrell said, this song isn't really Obla D Obla Die, is it? <laughs> so, Quite literally, because life doesn't go on when the music stops. Yes. Let's take a listen to the number 10, When the Music's Over, off of Strange Days. This one we're going to hear in two parts. I'm going to play the scream part, and then we'll take a 15-second clip of the main part of the song. So... Let's take a listen to when the music's over. Okay, let's listen to the 15 second clip. I think that song, the big thing for me is that just the guitar fills always kept my attention in that song more than a lot of their songs. Mm-hmm. So it, it never had that slump for me. I know you had that look, you felt a little slumpy in there. Maybe right. the bass line does go slumpy, but those fills just happen and happen and happen and happen. And I'm just like locked in. It's so good. <laughs> and it's so hard to capture the real, the feel of that song in 15 seconds because of how many times it changes. You hear, That's very true. You hear Densmore slowing it down right after the scream, you know, and, and just like locking into this, this incredible groove that just punches. Um, it's, it's an amazing piece of work. There we go. All right. So let's move on to number nine off of Waiting for the Sun. This was my number six. And this is Alan's number 11. And Jason decided not to put it on his list. It's called Five to One. I just love Doug LeBan's bass line on this and the marching feel and the vocals are just so good and the guitar, obviously, at the end of this and just, ugh. I have always loved this song and it's all about, whether it was about Vietnam and the soldiers were outnumbered five to one or whether it was old people to young people. But Morrison denied all of those things. Yeah, he said it was not political at all, but I tend to not believe that. <laughs> I mean, it meant something. I just don't know what it meant. And he was never specific about it, so that's okay. It's a it's a great hook, simple yeah. but effective. I love the fuzz bass, guitar solo is great, and I actually like Morrison's screaming vocal. Yeah, uh, even though it was probably fueled by plenty of alcohol or other stuff. The song is raw, it's dirty, it sounds like a drunken brawl put to music. It's right in Morrison's wheelhouse. And I attempted to find out who played bass on this, but I was unsuccessful at that. Yeah, it was Doug LeBun. He actually played on, he was actually considered the fifth door for a little bit. He played on Strange, seven tracks on Strange Days. He played on all of Waiting for the Sun and three on the Soft Parade. Mm -hmm. They actually offered him the opportunity to go on tour with them and play with them. But he was involved with another band called Clear Light, 
which was huge. <laughs> so he just had a nice yeah, dinner. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Oops. I got 10 other albums at home. Yeah, that was not the best call, Doug, but great playing on this one. Yeah, Robbie Finger said in an interview that they tried out a few bass players, and they didn't like any of them because none of them could do what Ray was doing with his left hand on the piano bass. That's the story they stuck to, but from what I've heard, at one point he was offered it, and that was early on, and then he decided not to do it, so mm. he was just their studio guy. Yeah, so uh, this, this song hit my top 28. <laughs> Top 28. Um, well, you can be quiet then. No, yeah, no, well, <laughs> unfortunately for all of the things that Alan just said, it was the, were the reasons that I didn't like it. I thought the lyrics were way too drunk, way too sluggish. I didn't like the tone of the bass. In fact, I even read something. I don't know if it's true or not. It's just what I read that Morrison was so drunk trying to record the song that he had to have someone cueing him. And one of the lines you hear in the song, the spoken word lines, one more time, was actually a cue to remind Morrison that you know mm-hmm. he was yet to be needed to, to be singing. That's so, true. It was it was. Really drunk when he did this one yeah for those reasons i just i pushed it all the way down it, it kind of feels like a riot and it's raging you know and i kind of felt that gresham with the, the screamy vocals and the whole 68 with everything going on crazy much like 2020 mm-hmm. with a lot of the rioting and all that stuff going on there's we haven't thank god had any of the assassinations and all of that stuff they had to deal with but it was a really tense time i felt that the building up and the Oh, all the angst, right? Song, yeah, yeah. And, and and that's why I love it so much, and that's why it was my number six. So let's listen to Five to One off of Waiting for the Sun. Number nine. Five to That's five to one. I'm waiting for the sun. Just love that tune. I just get. I, I get that apocalypse now feel. I get that whole. Yeah. You know that sort of just like. Arr. It's like everything's going crazy. And all right, so let's jump to number eight off of the original Doors album. This is on mine and Alan's list. This is my number 11, and this is Alan's number 6. Once again, Jason decided not to put it on there. So when it's guitar, bass, it's not heavy keys. That must be what it is. This is a blues song. It's called Backdoor Man. Mm. So, Alan, you had this higher, so why don't you give it a shot? Uh, There is so much about this song to like. The energy, the intensity, the driving instrumentation. I love the organ, the drum groove. Morrison's performance is intense. And Rob Solo really fits this, too, I think. Yeah. This was written by a couple blues guys. Well, this is a Willie Dixon tune, right? Yeah. And so this is a great interpretation of uh, an old blues tone, tune adapted to the rock and roll genre of the 1960s. Yeah, I think Ray, I think it heard it by John Hammond did a cover of this song, and he got really inspired by that, and then they started doing it. Back in the day, all of like the Stones and all of the bands were doing blues covers, and Zeppelin and who have you. And this was the song he was that Morrison was singing when he was arrested in New Haven, that he was stopped and been the first guy, rock singer ever arrested mid-performance. Because he started telling the story of you know being maced early on and started ripping on the cops. And at that time, the cops, it wasn't like today where it's the stage and then below they have security. Back then the cops were on the stage that they stood in front of, almost in front of the band, kind of protecting people from running onto the stage. Yeah, there is concert footage of the cops throwing people off the front of the stage as they climb onto the front of the stage. Yeah, that's crazy. Wow. And obviously this song has several meanings, but it came initially from a guy sneaking out of the back door when he was treating with a woman, 
and he'd be the backdoor man. He'd sneak out. And then there's also the, what's a good way of saying it? <laughs> uh, giving sex from behind. <laughs> was that, that was it. the good way of saying it? <laughs> that, that, that's, the, the, that's the other backdoor man sort of thing. And, uh, and actually, Jim had some rumors about his sexuality in this whole thing, too. So anyway, backdoor man. Off of the Doors, one of the best debut albums of all time. I think unarguably. It is. So let's listen to number eight, Backdoor Man. Okay, that's Backdoor Man. One of the other things he talks about eating more chicken than you'd ever see. I thought that was great. It's like you eat your pork and beans. I've had more chicken than you've ever seen. You That's know? an awesome yeah. line. I played with a drummer like that. He could eat more chicken than you've ever seen. <laughs> Somehow I don't think it meant as literally. <laughs> All right, let's move on to number seven. And this is Alan's number 12. This was my number four. And this is one of the first songs that I used to play out. This is Love Me Two Times of A Strange Days. The guitar riff is so identifiable. The clavinet sound on the keys is really this cool little vibe he has. The vocals are amazing on it. Robbie Krieger wrote this song and Light My Fire when he was challenged to do it. And he's the two he comes up with. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> is that amazing? Yeah, Morrison tells the other guys, you guys need to write more songs. So Krieger comes up with Light My Fire. And Love Me Two Times. <laughs> I hate people like that. <laughs> First time ever writing a song comes up with that stuff. Yeah. Uh, but he's been around Morrison for a while, and he's been, he really had that one to impress, and the rest of the guys didn't do anything. Thank goodness John didn't try to write anything. Because <laughs> we know drummers are always kind of, they're like, no, 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 it was not the drummer. No, I, John is, as I said, John is one of the most amazing drummers that I've All heard. the drummers just tuned out. Yeah, and I'm sorry. I apologize, Jake, wherever you are. <laughs> I'm so used to Jake being here and me ripping on him with the drum stuff. <laughs> It was like that old joke. What was the last thing the drummer said before he was fired? Let me tell you about the song I wrote. <laughs> hey, what do you call a drummer with no girlfriend? Uh, homeless. Homeless, yeah. <laughs> How can you tell if a drummer's at your door? The knock speeds up and slows down at random intervals. <laughs> oh, but anyway. Uh, you can say a lot of things about the guitarist, you know what I mean? How can you know if a guitarist is at your door? I'll take a hit on this one. He doesn't know what key to use, and he doesn't know when to come in. <laughs> and how do you get that guitarist off your porch? <laughs> you give, you pay him for the pizza. You pay for the pizza. <laughs> uh, this has been musical humor. I like the musical humor. <laughs> no, no jokes about keyboard players, though. Yeah, that's because nobody, no, no, nobody, nobody cares. Yeah, there's just too uninteresting. <laughs> Ray is probably one of the only keyboard players. Who's like He's doing all these multiple things at the same yeah. time. Yeah, Ray's in a category all by himself, though. Yeah, it's he fantastic. Is. That's why initially I was like, why does Jason want to do The Doors? It seems like it's an older band. And then I was like, oh, the keyboard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keyboard's amazing on this. Uh, Alan, anything else on Love Me Two Times? Oh, yeah. Um, I love the, the riff from Robbie Grieger. It's nice and funky. Mm -hmm. By the way, according to Manzarek, that was not a clavinet. It was a harpsichord. Oh, okay. And the solo is brilliant, in my opinion. His keyboard skills are in virtuoso territories. Yeah, yes. Um, I also like what the bass is doing in this song, because like we were talking about before, a lot of the times the Doors would have a bass player with them. He's blending himself with the guitar and the drums to a point where he's not standing out 
but it becomes this integral part of the musicality of the song without getting noticed yeah. and i like that yeah and this one kind of got jet oh, number one i can't believe this didn't make the first album that it wasn't good enough <laughs> And then yeah, they finally release it and, it, and it only hit 25. That's because there was this big to-do with Morrison in New Haven, Connecticut, when this came out. People weren't selling the song, or radio stations weren't playing it. So it went to 25 and then just died because nobody was there to support it. But I love, 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 love this song. This is one of my favorite songs, but I couldn't put it at number one. You know, I put it at number four, so it's obviously pretty high for me. I love the song. I love it more than once. I love it two times. <laughs> Sorry, I'm it's sorry. A, that was too corny. It's a good song, and I I don't dislike it. The one thing that actually pushed it off my list was the fact that he used a harpsichord. I don't like the tune. I don't like the the sound and the pitch of the harpsichord. Mm. I would rather you know, not that he ever would ask me, but I would rather him use a piano. And if he had done that with the the lines that he played, it probably would have been way higher. Yeah, I'm so sad he passed. I was like, I was just so, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's still what like seven years ago now. Yeah, eight years ago something like that. Gosh. Anyway, what a one of the most fantastic musicians ever, mm-hmm. uh, Ray. Anyway, let's listen to "Love Me Two Times" off of Strange Days, the number seven song. I tell you what, that. Harpsichord solo, which you hate, is one of my favorite harpsichords. It's just my favorite piano solos of all time. Just like, oh, it's just so good. It's really so good. It's good. I mean, the notes he picked are absolutely great. Yeah, and it's almost like the harpsichord kind of masks the purity of the notes as they would be on a piano, for instance. Mm -hmm. Yep. But I don't think a piano would have worked on this one. It plays off of the guitar tone that Robbie has. They're almost in the same family yeah i can see that sure yeah it's just so good okay the next song everybody had on their list so finally we're gonna get we're gonna get to the everybody (laughs) songs this was my number 10 and alan's number 10 and this was jason's number seven this is off of the doors album 20th century fox since jason was highest let me uh, let you start off well aside just from the actual tune itself which is uh, i really enjoyed the the stops i really enjoyed the actual musical construction and the movie studio. Uh, uh, right, exactly. I really liked his verbal painting of this fashionable but unfeeling woman. And I think most of us as guys, we can relate to a scenario where we saw someone, you know, back in the day where we were just like, hey, this woman is incredible. But it's so obvious that she is completely cold, completely stood standing off. This is a relatable song. They called it feigning sophistication. Yeah. I think it was uh, Ray when he was talking about how the song was made. I, you know, whenever I hear 20th Century Fox, the first time I, I think of, and this is like a really obscure right field thing, nothing to do with Thor's, nothing, anything. It, I remember Steve Martin and Dan Aykroyd and SNL doing, We are two wild and crazy guys. Look at them foxes over there. They're so hot. They're hot for me. You know, that, yeah. they start going off on that. And I just, and always with the 20th Century Fox, whenever I hear somebody calls a fox, I never grew up with that as a term for a woman. That was the first time I'd heard it, I think, on SNL. And then 20th Century Fox, I, I started to love once I started getting into the doors. And this was on that first album that I picked up. So I love the guitar hook, the surfer sort of feel. The hooks and the flow of the song are just amazing. I love the chord progression. It's based in the blues, but it's more complex and more interesting. I like the punches in the pre-chorus mm-hmm. and the clever lyrics. It's just one of those songs that kind of a happy-go-lucky 
rock and roll song in the middle of some not so happy go lucky stuff. Yeah, and Rothschild had them uh, walk on wooden planks during the chorus to get that sort of pounding effect. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know that. That was that was one of the things I found out during this whole research. And I'm like, oh, what's that noise? It's like you always you always hear like, what's that? And I'm like, oh, it's just probably somebody hitting on a stick or something. No. <laughs> Uh, he was essentially a foley artist while he was yeah, building he was this, foley, this album. As would work with a 20th Century Fox movie right. as well as all. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's listen to number six, 20th Century Fox, off of The Doors' debut album in 1967. But she's no drag, just watch the Locked up inside a plastic box. You can make your own euphemisms on that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, uh, but 20th Century Fox, great tune. Yeah, talk about melody, counter melody there. I mean, listening to all those instruments, yeah. playing playing their own thing, that it all fits together. And it's so funny. We were talking before on the last song about how Ray kind of sounded like the guitar. But I think in some of these songs, Robbie sounds like a keyboard. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you can hardly tell the difference between the two in some aspects. And he has that working really well, too. So, mm-hmm. so let's move to number five. This is the title track off of the L.A. Woman album. This is Alan's number two, Jason's number six, and it didn't make my list. Wow. I know. Wow. It really came to, with the song, this is really, first two and a half minutes, good. Second two and a half minutes, boring. The last, good. And when it came to, I started putting all the songs together, that little lull in it for me, that was what put it out like my number 13. I mean, this is like right outside of my list. This was in my list. It was out of my list. Once again, Mr. Mojo Rise and a lot of stuff, the anagram for Jim Morrison. I thought that was fantastic. I didn't yeah. know that. I hmm. knew I know the Mr. Mojo Rise and he would say that, but I didn't realize that Mr. Mojo Rise actually spelled Jim Morrison. Right. Yeah, I didn't either. If you mixed it up. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's pretty neat. I'll let Alan take the lead on this, but go ahead. This is a great driving song. <laughs> mm-hmm. In fact, there's a, a video on YouTube made by a fan of Jim Morrison driving a 60s Mustang through the desert and through L.A. And there's concert footage and stuff. It's worth watching. I love the instrumental interplay. Robbie Krieger, I think he, will, he does really nice slide work in this song. And I think this song is some of his best work in the Doors catalog. I really do. Tasty looks all the way through it. Yeah, his fills are good. Densmore, great on the drums. His snare tone is killer. I love the bass and the, the halftime breakdown section. It kind of holds its own together. Yeah. And the lyrics, can, you know, paint a picture of the city of L.A. You know, maybe it's just me because I grew up in Southern California. I can picture the lyrics in my mind's eyes are being yeah. sung. I think that gives a song a little bit of an ethereal quality to it. Yeah, a song about driving madly down the L.A. freeway. They're heading to L.A. or going up the 405 out to San Francisco. I remember reading that Morrison recorded the vocals in his studio bathroom, mm-hmm. which he tended to spend a lot of time in there anyways because of all the beer he was drinking. So it kind of just was convenient, right? There was one day, I think he drank 36 beers. It was like, they, oh, said, they said it was his record. <laughs> he used to drink Ducatis. So I almost thought about getting that for this, but I don't know that I could get enough. <laughs> Well, we would be spending way more time in your bathroom. <laughs> but I really enjoyed the bass line, the, the Rhodes lines, um, the counter melodies, um, especially when the piano kicks in halfway into the song. All over, it was just a, a very solid you know, middle of the top 12 for me. And it's so sad, if you think about it, this song was only ever played once live. And that was in Dallas. Oh, really? I played it in December of 70, before the hmm. album came out, I think. That was the only time they ever played it. 
And they were all dealing with everything that happened and then dying and all that other oh. stuff in 71, shortly after the album came out, actually. So, L.A. Woman, off of L.A. Woman, this is the number five song by The Doors. That was number five, L.A. Woman. Good. We're moving right along here. The next song is another song that actually somebody had at number one, and everybody had it on their list. This was my number seven. This was Jason's number five, and this was Alan's number one song, so he's going to take the lead on this for sure. Number four, it's called Light My Fire by The Doors or for their debut album. When I first listened to the instrumental section of this, I was pretty much blown away. The keyboard intro is iconic. It's one of the most recognizable in rock. And you don't hear that type of chord progression anywhere else. There are six chords and three measures. And then that repeats in the turnaround and then the outro. There's a quick verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and then we're into the four and a half minute instrumental section. Ray takes the first half, Robbie takes the second. And, and I think if Robbie would have took the whole thing, it may have been higher on my list. <laughs> but solos are just great. I can listen to that stuff all day I long. Know, I got it. Gansmore is putting in these flourishes on the drums that break, so up, good. break up the repetitiveness of that section and make that section a lot more interesting. I love what each of them are doing. You know, the melodies are burning in my brain from hearing it so often. These guys play really well together as a band. It's no wonder to me that they landed the house gig at the Whiskey Go-Go in 1966. They were that good. But the, the gig only lasted three months because Morrison performed the end on stage with plenty of profanity and explicit language, and they were fired <laughs> on the spot. Actually, the interesting story about that is a lot of people don't know is that is the story that's been in the history books. But the reality of it is, Robbie Krieger said, it's Thursday night. You mean we're fired now, right before the weekend? And the guy said, well, you're actually fired on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> we we got to have our door. <laughs> Which I hadn't heard, but I, I, it was one of these things that you hear on an interview. And it's just like, oh my gosh, I didn't. It's like the one little thing that you don't hear anywhere. And it's like, oh, okay. anyway, continue. And there was some controversy that there was a drug reference in this song. Yeah, sure. And the, we couldn't get much higher. Mm -hmm. I never got that. I never agreed with that. And I'd like to make a point on that. There was a song that was out at the exact same time. In fact, they were both on the top 40 charts at the same time. A song by a soul singer Jackie Wilson called Higher and Higher. And the tagline in the chorus is, your love is lifting me higher than I've ever been lifted before. So here we have a song that's on the charts the same time as Light My Fire. And the higher reference is to a relationship. It's to a romantic relationship with a woman. Mm -hmm. I don't know so that, why I don't know that the that, Doors version was. Though. Why can't that apply to, to the Light My Fire uh, song? I, I think it always comes from the person singing it. But you do make a good point. Oh, I almost forgot. This was the... The first rock song to feature a both guitar and keyboard solo in the instrumental at that time. Hmm. Yeah, this is a great tune and the whole thing about the hire that came to uh, the head when they were at the Ed Sullivan show. Mm -hmm. And uh, they pretty much told them that said, listen, you can't say that line, change it to something else. Right. 
And he said, sure, we'll, we'll do that. <laughs> and they went, and he sang the actual line. And the guy comes out after and goes, you're never playing Ed Sullivan again. He goes, we don't have to. We just did. <laughs> We're only going to play you guys once anyway. That's classic. That's classic Jim Morrison. Yep. Yep, I'm with you, Alan. The organ intro, just the chord progressions, uh, phenomenal. One of the one of the classic Doors songs that you just yeah. you recognize anywhere. No Most of it was written by Robbie Krieger, and it, from what I was reading, Jim Morrison may have resented the song a little bit because it was so popular, and he had such a small part in writing it. Yeah, he wrote the second verse. Yeah, which it was the darker verse, right? All of a sudden, now we're talking about funeral pyres when it started off so positive. So yeah, and Robbie was like. Are you sure you really need to do this on this one? He goes, no, no, it's going to work. You're the light and I'm the dark. It's great. Yeah, and I would I listen to a lot of these Doors pieces and I go, you know what? I hear elements of the Grateful Dead, like that whole concept of instruments mm-hmm. trading back and forth and where it's just this yeah. organic flowing type of, um, I'm just going to start playing and something's going to come out and then you're going to start playing, something's going to come out and we just keep going. Right, right. Yeah, this was totally a jam band song mm-hmm. for them. I can hear a little bit of uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, too, mm-hmm. in some of their early stuff. And as Alan was saying before, they played at the Whiskey forever. They started at London Fog, and then they were they were kind of hoping that they would get picked up by the Whiskey, because you couldn't get into the Whiskey as a no-name. And they right. built their reputation, and then they got called, and they're like, okay, buy London Fog. <laughs> we're going to go for the place that people care about. All right, let's listen to number four, Light My Fire by The Doors. And our love become a funeral pyre Come on baby, light my fire Come on baby, light my fire Try to set the night on Okay, that's number four, I Light My Fire. It's amazing. Ray's solos are so melodic. And if you listen to him working up the scale, mm-hmm. he tends to work in... Was that two two steps at a time, right? So he'll start playing a line, and then he'll add in the second step, like the third, and then he'll start adding in a fifth. And then he's got his seventh, and he's got his ninth, and he starts playing that same kind of pattern, but incorporating those particular notes of that chord. He kind of leapfrogs his way on he the does. way up. Yeah, he does. But it just creates this build, this yeah. musical build, yeah. which I've always admired. Okay, we're getting into the top three already. Wow! All the rest of the songs are on everybody's list. And probably pretty high on most people's list. At least we agree on some things then. <laughs> yeah. This The next song is my number two and y'all's number four. This is off of the Hard Rock Cafe section of the Morrison Hotel album. It's called Roadhouse Blues. And mm-hmm. if you've ever played in a bar band, ever, 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 you play the song. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which I know you guys have both done. One of the driviest guitars in the catalog. Uh, the guitar work is great. The harmonica. Love it. Pure piano. Love it. So good. Uh, lyrics are just spot on. Let it roll, baby, roll. And the guitar solo is great. Jim Morrison got drunk, and which he did a lot. And he liked to sing blues numbers at their jam sessions. And this is one of the songs he came up with. And it's kind of interesting. This song, when they toured, they had Lonnie Mack play bass on this. But on the track, it says, do it, Lonnie, do it before the solo. It's not do it, Robbie, do it. It's do it, Lonnie, do it. And I've listened to it like five times to make sure I wasn't not listening to correctly. What had happened is Lonnie had made up a lot of the solo. And Lonnie recorded it initially, but Robbie duplicated it and played it as well. Oh, wow. Parts of it. So nobody really knows who was actually playing some of the... It sounds to me, as a guitar player, that the beginning of it was Lonnie Mac, and then it went over to Robbie. And you can always hear when that happens. But I know that they both played it in the studio. So who knows what was which? It just sounded like he was using a pick for the first part of it. 
on the actual studio track in my head could be who knows and i think only the engineer knows or the producer knows which version they use anyway jason you want to go yeah, it's, it's a complete rocking blues tune. It's the only door song that I've personally ever played out. That was the time when my development as a keyboard player was really being pushed. It was, you know, get out of the space that I was comfortable in and try playing all these things. I had to learn a 20 or 30 song catalog in a short period of time. And it was one of the songs I had the most fun in. It was interesting to read that... Um, a guy named John Sebastian played harmonica on it. And From he Love was, and Spoonful. Yeah, yeah. right. Stealing exactly. Like thunder. But <laughs> he didn't want to be named on the album because he didn't want to be associated with Morrison and all of his escapades. <laughs> so they put some other name on there. It's G. Puglisi. Right. Right. Yeah, one of my favorite, all-time favorite Doors tunes. Anytime I get a chance to play it, I love playing it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Al? I'm not sure about that Lonnie Mac story. It still sounds like do it, Robbie, or do it to me. Well, we can listen to it um, on here just the, right the, before. The harmonica is great. You mm-hmm. get this nasty blues harmonica yeah. down there. Great guitar solo. The rock and roll piano is great. The song is a great dance beat, too. And I think if Light My Fire is the most recognizable line in any Doors song, then the second most recognizable is I woke up this morning and got myself a beer. Yep, Yep, totally agree. And and, and to me, that's Morrison's fatalistic way of saying, you know, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So let's listen to number three, Roadhouse Blues, off of Morrison Hotel. And I'll try to get that part for you. Uh, Maybe we'll play two parts on this so we can get that. Whether you think it's Robbie or Lonnie, you'll hear it and you'll make your own decision. So let's listen. Nah, it's such a good tune. I can't decide if it was Lonnie or Robbie, honestly. Yeah, and the, I, take a chance. Everybody listen. Go to the with Spotify or Apple Music or, or your LP, whatever you decide, and really listen to it and, and really focus in on it. I tried to listen to and trying to get Robbie out of it, and I couldn't. I have to listen to it over and over and over again. And I was like, it's, it's, it's Lonnie. It's, there's no in my head. But I guess it's where you come from. And it's kind of like those pictures where you say, is it silver or is it blue? Is it silver or is it blue? (laughs) Half the people say it's blue and half the people say it's silver. Actually, it was rumored there's a Topanga Canyon nightclub or roadhouse. Topanga Corral, right? Topanga Corral, yeah, that that this was rumored to be about. Because they had some bungalows behind it. And that sort of thing. Well, it makes sense. If you're driving to Topanga Canyon, as I've done many times, um, you do have to keep your eyes on the road and your hands on the wheel. There you go. And when you wake up in the morning, you have yourself a beer when you're well, out the way. Well, yeah, that's never done that. But um, one of the things I really liked about Ray's playing in this song is that it's very much an ode to Chuck Berry, but it's not specifically. So if you listen to Chuck Berry's stuff, he's got his 16th notes that he plays consistently. But Ray is putting in syncopated notes, and he's letting space go between his notes in a lot of different patches. And he's not playing the same thing over and over again. He's got different movements that he plays. It's incredibly good, and it sounds a lot easier than it is. Yeah. Right. It's, it's almost like you have to slow down Ray's playing to appreciate it because yes. you, you can't take it all in in real time. You know? Yep. Yep. So, so the next song is my number one song. It's Jason's number two song. It's Alan's number five song. Break on through the other side, man. It's the last song they ever played live during the Island of White Festival in 1970. Ray's bass on the keys on the song 
is great. Rob's riff is amazing. For me, it's the penultimate door song. Jim yelling, she got high, although she got, she got, she got is all you ever heard on the radio. Uh, Robbie said that he took a lot of the melody from the Paul Butterfield blues, Shake Your Money Maker. And there's a really good video you can check on YouTube where he actually goes and he plays what the Shake Your Money Maker riff was. And then it's what his riff was mm. and how he mm-hmm. changed it. It was really good. So, uh, Jason, this is your number two, so you can continue on. Well, Ray said he borrowed the bass lines from another very famous musician named Ray, Ray Charles, off of his tune, What I'd Say. This is probably one of the very first door songs I've ever heard on the radio. It's Morrison talking about overthrowing established order, talking about revolt. I mean, chaos, but you don't hear chaos in the musicianship in the song. It's very tight and it's very specific. And the musicality of it is just excellent. So that's why it was really high on my list. I never got it as a revolt song in my head. I always took it as break on through the other side was on the other side of consciousness, man, after he's taken LSD and kind of going over to the other side of reality. And it's funny, they had an SNL bit. Uh, They had a VH1 supposedly behind the music on the heaven band <laughs> and Morrison started it oh okay <laughs> there's an old saying in music and it goes like this if there's a rock and roll heaven you know they've gotta have a hell of a band well tonight we'll explore this phenomenon as we go up through the clouds onto the stages and behind the music of rock and roll heaven. <laughs> he was singing break out through the other side on the skit but it was he was going through it and he had like Jimi Hendrix playing guitar and it was, it was kind of an interesting little SNL bit. Sorry. So Al, you want the bossa nova drum groove, which starts the song, just gives it this sense of pace and urgency mm-hmm. that lasts through the whole song. Nice, dirty guitar tone, lots of energy in the song. One of Morrison's better vocal performances, in my opinion. But yeah, I love the guitar line in the choruses. It's kind of a circular thing. Yeah, great song. This was their very first single that was released. It didn't do anything until Light My Fire came out, and then both of them went up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Light My Fire was the one that just took off. There's not a bad song on the first album. No. No, and the chances of a band coming out and having so many hits and so many good songs off the first album, I can't remember another band that did that. No doubt. Let's listen to Break On Through the Other Side, number two song ever by The Doors. Here we go. You know the day destroys the night, night divides the day. Try to run, try to hide, break on through to the other side, break on through to the other side. Okay, that's number two. Break on through the other side. Why the doors? I'm going to ask Alan, what do you think number one is? Crystal ship. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Jason? Um, I'm going with, uh, let's see, been down so long? Riders on the Storm oh, that was is my other the one. number one, and it's actually your number one. So I figured you're like, my number one didn't make it, and number one's so powerful. And it's Alan's number three, and it's my number three. We matched on that. I, I remember going to... Uh, it was like a little wine bar here in Valencia, and they were playing, and they said, oh, we're going to play a Doors song. I'm like, okay, here it comes. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I was expecting yeah, yeah. And they went into Riders on the Storm, and I was so impressed as a musician that that's what they chose to go into. Uh, there's a killer on the road. It, it's just this whole 
thing that he was getting into about the hitchhiker and this mm-hmm. movie that he wanted to make and the, the riff that he took off of Ghost Riders in the Sky. Jason, you can take it over. It's your number one. So. To me, it's the ultimate door song. Probably because it was in that interview that I watched with Ray and going chord by chord, note by note, and just telling the story of how the song was built. The, the Ghost Riders in the Sky and then Jim saying, oh, I've got lines for that. i got lyrics for that. And then, well, we can't use that melody. And so then Ray comes up and says, well, let's try something like this. And he brings up this bass line. And then Jerry Chef goes, you know, what are you playing? He tries to play it on his bass guitar. I was like, this is impossible, man. You can't expect me to do this. And Ray's going, no, it's just this. Minor the major. And just an, an incredible musical creation. And Ray does an incredible job of actually creating raindrops on his roads. If you listen to that pattern, that keyboard pattern falling all the way down. Yeah. Just absolutely phenomenal. Whenever I think of the doors, if I just pull up a song in my head, it's going to be Writers in the Storm. I was listening to this a couple of days ago and it was raining outside. It set the mood. It was perfect. The solos in this song, Robbie and Ray are not flashy shredder soloists per se, but they can really play and they come up with some tasty stuff. I also love the drumming in this song. Densmore is an excellent, excellent timekeeper. Yeah. You know, I bet you if you put a a meter on his drumming from start of the song to finish he doesn't deviate that much yeah and a lot of times when he does deviate it's all part of the plan it's deliberate right yeah yeah yeah. the one thing that jumped out at me that i didn't really realize about the song and once you hear it you can't unhear it there's a whisper track every lyric that he sings he also doubles it with a whisper Mm -hmm. of the actual words and the last thing he ever recorded while alive was the whisper track to the song Riders on the Storm. Mm-hmm. That was the last thing he did. Wow. You know, and then he died. It's interesting. There's so many thoughts about how he died, but I saw this one thing you can find on YouTube. It's 24 hours, and it's the last 24 hours of Jim Morrison's life, right. and they follow it. Hmm. And I kind of believe that version more than anything because his girlfriend was into heroin. And Jim really wasn't. Went a little crazy that night. And with everything going on, mm-hmm. he had finally tried it. And that explains somebody dying of heart failure while sitting up in the tub. Yep. Yeah. You know, they just OD. And she and, died from heroin overdose three years later. Yeah. So. All right. Let's listen to the number one song ever by The Doors. Let's listen to Riders on the Storm. Like a dog without a bone The tremolo on his guitar is so good. My gosh, there's not much wrong with that song in any way at all. And you've got a vibrato effect on the the roads as well. The trading off of the guitar on the roads, right? They both have their own space. And they're talking back and forth around the lyrics. It's just, it's an incredible piece of music. And we should mention here for the non-musicians, Rhodes is a, a type of electric piano. Yeah, that's probably a good, good point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is fun. Now, I'm going to go through briefly the songs in our list that didn't make it. And the one that just got beat out by Love Her Madly was one that was both on Jason's and Alan's list, which was You Make Me Real off of mm-hmm. Morrison, uh, Hard Rock. Okay. Great song. Oh, so awesome. The End, which was on my list, was my number five songs I'll talk about in a second. That's going to be the one I'm going to talk about. Uh, the Crystal Ship, which was on Alan's list. People Are Strange on Jason's list. Queen of the Highway on Jason's list. Hello, I Love You on Jason's list. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sensing a pattern here. And Waiting for the Sun off of my list. So let's start with Alan. Which one are you going to talk about? Alan mentioned the crystal ship. The piano solo is absolutely beautiful. Ray's piano playing 
you know, I love, I love his organ playing. I'm not a fan of all of the organ tones that he gets, but when he's on a piano, that was when he really shines. Mm-hmm. I'm just a sucker for good piano playing and, and Jason over here is one of my favorite piano players. Morrison sings it pretty much straight, and I do like the sarcasm that he injects. Uh, Deliver me from reasons you'd, why you'd rather cry. And then at the end of the song, he kind of tacks on a goodbye. He goes, I'll drop a line, you know, like, see you later. But for me, with the Crystal Ship, the reason it didn't make my list, it's very psychedelic and sort of meditative. This is my quote. Before there was Ambien, there was the Crystal Ship. <laughs> <laughs> It's not that it's bad. It just made me drowsy. Uh, but yeah, it's a good it's a good tune. All right, Jason. I'll go with uh, Queen of the Highway. Okay. I really liked the the roads, the rotary effect. Jim's talking about his wife, Pamela. Mm-hmm. Talking about his, his self-description as the monster. Were they ever really married? Yeah, I don't know. I know he was married to that Wiccan chick briefly. <laughs> I saw her referred to as his wife at one point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he was definitely talking about her and talking about himself as this monster in black dressed and leather and really drawing this contrast between how he viewed himself and how he viewed her. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it was one of the songs that I had never heard prior to researching this podcast. So okay. very pleasant. For me, the, the song that I couldn't believe that didn't make any of your list was my number five which was the end. I don't know, maybe when I was working at the video store, I saw it in Apocalypse Now, and that's what kind of pulled me into it. And I remember listening to this, and and maybe I was in a dark space in my life. The droniness of the song, it, it floored me. It was almost mystical. When you talk to uh, the producer, he said, this is one of the most beautiful moments I've ever had in the recording studio. There was no overdubs on this whole track. They played it live, and they played it in one take. Well, they played it in a couple takes, but they, they did the, the recording of this in one take. It's so crazy. And obviously they cut out. He actually says the F word very rhythmically at the end of the song. <laughs> that it's almost a beat. No, literally, it's like. <laughs> he does that for a while at the end when, he, when he's completely out of his mind. But this is one of the songs they really developed at the Whiskey. And... Uh, they used to play it. It used to close their show every night. And they used to just come up with different areas. And when they came up with, then the killer awoke before dawn and put his boots on and walked on down the hall. That whole thing, he just came off one night. They were supposedly playing at the whiskey. He missed the first set because he was on LSD. They... The guy yelled at him. He's like, Where, I paid for a you know a four-person band because they played the first set without him. <laughs> no, 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 no. So they went out and they got him, and they brought him back, and he was out there, and, and then he just starts going, and the killer awoke before dawn, and he put his boots on. And and, he, and they were like, I have no idea where it's going, but it sounds awesome. <laughs> and then he went into the edible thing, and that, the, everything that happened with that. Um, but oh, it, for me, it's just one of the best songs ever. And I'm sad that we didn't make our list, but I still think our 12, Love Her Madly at 12, Touch Me, When the Music's Over, 5 to 1, Backdoor Man, Love Me Two Times, 20th Century Fox, LA Woman, Light My Fire, Roadhouse Blues, Break On Through to the Other Side, and Riders on the Storm. I think we really have a solid 12 here. The Doors are just a fantastic band. If you haven't really got onto them, you really need to. And I'm sorry we're only playing 15 second clips here of sometimes eight minute songs or 10 minute songs or seven minute songs, but take the time, listen to the playlist that we're going to put out. And I want to thank you guys. This is kind of fun. What do you think about the three person thing? 
I think it worked. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I enjoyed the banter and the byplay and the, the different discussions we've had. So I thought it was a great model. Yeah. And I, I really like this format right now. Let me know what you think of just going straight through 12th through 1, the actual calculated one, instead of trying to go through the 36 of ours or whatever. Thank you so much for being a part of this. I really appreciate it. We'll see you in uh, two weeks. And I think it's going to be Silver Chair. So it's going to be interesting. We have a guy, Ben, who's part of the, a huge media conglomerate, uh, who's really, in, really a fan. So he's going to be there, and Jake's going to be with me. And it's going to be a good time. So I'll see you in two weeks. And thank you, Jason. Thank you, Alan, for being a part of this. It's great to be here, Rob. You guys yeah, thank are awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, check them out on other podcasts. Jason has one of the most popular podcasts we have, which is the Pink Floyd Podcast. And another one of the most popular podcasts we have, the Aerosmith Podcast and the Rush Podcast with Alan. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're both really popular. So check them out and check out all the stuff. Pick a band you like, and we have a bunch of them. And we're going to really have a good season. I'm really looking forward to this. Thank you all for everybody who subscribes to this. And I will see you in two weeks. God bless.